الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Once you travel the path there are different realities that open up to one um, there's not just different realities, but there's actually different ways of worshipping that open up. When I say different ways, I don't mean, uh, we don't mean new, new types of worship, but rather a new understanding of how worship is done. Because with anything, what happens is you start doing it in a particular way. You may be uh, taught by somebody to do it in a particular way, but they can't make you a master of it before you past the beginning stages um, so what happens is initially you learn the basics of how to do something and then as you continue to do it experience will teach you that this is a more efficient way of doing it I get more out of doing it this way this is more effective I get more pleasure out of doing it this way I get a better result out of doing it this way so one is you work things out for yourself but then number two is then you sit with somebody who's a master driver and for example I remember I started I was I passed my driving test when I was at Madrasa but then I didn't have a car of course because I was at Madrasa then I moved to South Africa for studies for one year after graduating from Darulum so there was a classmate of mine who came with me who was a very good driver he used to live in Blackburn so he used to drive up and down and he used to he used to be driving since he's 15 or something like that he's a very good driver so we had long road trips in South Africa this, South Africa is a big country so sitting with him I learned a lot a simple thing I mean this is just as an example that you've got uh, in South Africa in the, uh, the, the when you're crossing lanes just from one lane to the next in between the lanes sometimes they have these cat's eyes that are protruding off the ground if your tire hits them they make a slight noise we generally ignore it so he said when you move lanes as well you should try to avoid those so it should be smooth transition so you don't even feel that there's a line move so a smooth transition if your partner your your passenger is sleeping he won't even recognize you've changed lanes there's going to be no and don't do it abruptly, do it smoothly, just do it smoothly. So I would may have not worked that out for myself if, if I'm just used to ignoring those things. That it's just part of driving, I'm assuming. Saying, no, it doesn't have to be part of driving, you can actually measure it so that it's not. So that's in driving and in everything else, that's the way it is. You know, you get masters, they'll teach you. Nowadays, you go onto YouTube, they'll tell you how to do certain things. Uh, you, you know, there's always somebody who's done something better and they'll teach you. So that's the way of this world. In worship, we can't just stay on the first level of worship so one is you'll work some things out for yourself I get more out of it this way or that way but then sometimes the, the, the problem with that is in driving you can tell where you're going you may be cutting corners and it may be, ben it may be effective for you but you know you may be risking certain things like you know how to deal with cameras in a particular way that if I swerve through lanes I may not, not get or whatever but it's still illegal you'll still get caught same thing when it comes to ibadat sometimes you may get ideas we may get ideas I should do it this way or this way or cut corners or do it more this way and sometimes it's not for cutting corners we may think we may get more out of it but it might be bid'ah you understand because there is that uh, within worship there is that possibility that is the, that is the fitna of worship uh, within worship 
that somebody could try to do something in a particular way that it's actually not sanctioned and thus it becomes a burden and a sin rather than being worshipped. So of course you need a teacher all the way through in everything in this world uh, but in the world it's not as critical whereas in worship it is critical because the problem is that we think we're doing good and then when you get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's all nothing it's nothing so that's why it's critical so that's one thing number two the teacher and sources will provide us those who've traversed these paths and who've advanced they will teach us the pitfalls and the more refined ways of worship when you're doing dhikr what should be your intention when you're worshiping allah with any worship what should be your worship what should be your thought your thought process to make it even superior to get more fulfillment out of it to get more reward to get more closer to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes these things can be worked out by yourself if allah gives you ilham and tawfiq but otherwise we we learn from others so one of the greatest books in that regard that lays it out very clearly there's many books all the ulama the, the, the biographies and the books on tasawuf that are uh, written um, that, that are written by uh, great sufis and uh, people of the path of course they are providing the experience that's the reason why they've written certain unveilings have taken place they've found certain secrets so they call it secrets of the way asrar right so out of them this uh, uh, Ibn Ata'illah al-Iskandari, who was a great uh, Shadili scholar from Egypt, he wrote this, uh, these wisdoms, about 260 of them. And each one is so perfect in its understanding of a particular subtlety, a wisdom of the path. So some of them are easy to understand, they're graspable, they're comprehensible at our level, at the lower level, uh, the beginner level, let's say. Some of them, you can tell that this is of a very high level, where it's only after you've had certain experiences that you will understand this properly. So it's quite an amazing thing. But what it does is that the, the, the ones which we can comprehend, they really help us to refine our worship. I'll give you one example. It's not one we're going to cover today, but one that really struck out to me is that he says, don't be satisfied that the worship came from you because mashallah if we haven't been able to do tahajjud and then suddenly one day we do we feel a form of self-accomplishment but the focus in there is generally on ourselves i woke up it's my accomplishment and from a worldly perspective it is because it requires you to put some alarms on or have a certain dedication and determination to wake up but he says, don't think it came from, don't, don't rejoice because it came from you. Rejoice at the fact that it came from Allah to you. Because if Allah didn't want you to do it, regardless of how, much, how many alarms you set or how much desires you have, you'll never do it. So now, what has he just done there for us? He's just changed the whole way of looking at this. I remember, generally we have this, many people have this attitude, not everybody, that whenever there's any legal things, put your seat belts on, well, drive according to the speed limit, that, oh, these things are just for general safety and I can, I, I can, over, you know, I can ignore some of these things. Like, I don't, I only put the, a lot of people, they only put seat belts on because it's the law. 
they don't do it because of a different reason. They do it because it's the law only, just because they don't want to be caught by the police. And that's why some people, I've even seen one driver in Saudi Arabia, and I'm sure I may have seen, I think I saw somebody in Spain as well, because their car makes a noise when you don't put the seatbelt on, because they have these inbuilt security systems. What they do is, they, um, he, uh, he puts the seatbelt from behind and clips it in. From behind him or from behind the seat. Just so that it doesn't bother him and that he doesn't have to wear the seatbelt. I used to think, I used to have this attitude, right? What's the point of the seatbelt? It's just a legal thing, you know, nothing's going to happen. But then a friend of mine in, uh, in America who's now in Medina Munawwara, the way he once said it to me, he said, well, your kids haven't got seatbelts, you know, the kids haven't got, like, put the, put the seatbelts on, it's, it's a safety factor. And then he gave me all of these uh, incidents where there was a crash and the safety belt was off and, uh, uh, you know, they didn't survive because the, the one, the only the driver survived and things like that. In fact, then there was a story after that, which I, um, which comes to mind is they had a baby in the seatbelt as well, but because it was cry, crying a lot, they took it out of its seat and the mother or somebody was holding it within her seatbelt. So she still had just one part of her seatbelt over the baby, but not the top part, of course. And babies can't survive in that because they just don't have the stability. They had a crash and the baby died and everybody else was fine because they had a seatbelt. Of course, it's a dhahiri sabab, but it does help because we're told to do dhahiri sabab in this world. So sometimes, when you're not told the reason why, then you'll be doing it for a different reason. You'll be feeling, what is this oppressive belt on me? There's a lot of people who feel that way. This is, this is restriction. This is oppression. We, you know, we're, we're libertarians. We live in a world of freedom of thought and freedom of expression. So why, why is the government clamping down on us? But when you understand that there's a benefit to it, suddenly you actually feel good in it. You feel you're, you're being you know, secure. So likewise, it's about perspective. Most people that worship, they worship like an off-the-shelf kind of worship. It's very uh, generic just for the sake of fulfillment. But we have to become of those who are more discriminatory in their worship. So Ibn Atta'illah, just by that one statement, Whenever we do any worship that we think is beyond our norm and it's an achievement, our gaze is not going to go to ourselves, but our gaze is going to go to Allah. So we'll have shukr then. Oh Allah, thank you for allowing me to do this. Shukr to, for that. So this is what this is all about. Some of them will understand, some of them we won't understand because they're of a higher level. We're not there yet. Yeah. So this one is on abstinence of the world. That's the few points I want to cover today because another fitna, that, uh, another challenge when you start taking the way, especially when you're not, uh, when you don't have firmly grounded knowledge as an alim sometimes. That helps a lot too, because you've read lots of hadith and you've read lots of other stories and incidents and tafsir etc. that tell you how to moderate things within the sharia. The fitna for most people is that they're not going to, they're not, they don't care, they don't do enough, they have heedlessness, they're ghafil. But the, the challenge then for those who do get on the path sometimes becomes overindulgence. And they start to think that they have to spend 24 hours in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning in pure worship. What I mean by pure worship is ritual worship. Like I have to be doing some astasbih. I have to be doing some adhkar with my mouth. I have to be formally sitting somewhere and worshipping Allah. I have to be praying salat, nawafil, uh, du'as, um, uh, and, and so on and so forth. Our life can't be lived like that. 
Allah does say, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ We didn't create the humans or jinn, but to worship. So yes, we, that's our primary purpose in this world. But then, He's given us a desire of our stomach, a desire of our mind to do things. There are other hukuk that need to be fulfilled. And the Sahaba were prone to these problems as well. And that's why they went into excess sometimes. And the Prophet ﷺ uh, clarified to them and cleared it up cleared it up for them. He, very clearly he said, you know, those who didn't want to get married, he says, I'm more of a worshipper and more faithful than any of you. And yet I get married, nine wives at once. I spend time with them. And then very clearly he said that your... You know, your uh, different aspects of your life have a right. Hakkun alik. Right? They have a right over you. So, what we have to understand, this generally happens in the beginning. I've seen a number of people, especially young people sometimes, especially those who've had a bad life before, like who've been really messing around, just, you know, be, being an indulgent life. Sometimes when they come on this side, they, be, they have an extreme mindset. That's why they became indulgent in the first place. They have a radical mindset that I want to be different. So, different then is in the negative. And when they become positive, then again they become radical in the positive. This happens both in practice and intellectual, on an intellectual level. And I was probably of that level where I was probably the first person in Darul Umberi to stop doing ijtima'i du'a. Because I had heard Mufti Rashid Ludhiyanwi saying that it's not established, even though it's, you know, everybody used to do it at that time. Now, many masajid don't do it. Um, so, dua is established after salat, but to do it collectively, there's no hadith about that. So, I was the first person in Darlumberi that vocally was against it, right? None of the teachers or anybody. And that obviously um, attracted people's wrath towards me. And there was one teacher who used to come and bother me about it a lot. I was sitting in an exam, writing an exam, and he would come and he would he would come up with strange evidences like, "Look, isn't everybody doing the exam together?" I said, "Yeah." So he said, "You see, that's a dalil of it." Just bothered me in the exam, right? Um, of course, later, that was my extreme nature of like, we shouldn't do it at all. When I went to America, it was an Arab brother that actually told me off for not doing Jumu'ah collectively after Jumu'ah. So he balanced me out. That's what, and then when I, what I realized in, here is that, mashallah, everybody does dua. You have to. If you don't do dua with the imam, you're frowned upon. That, that's what it used to be 20 years ago here. Now it's a bit different. There's still people who will argue the case with you either way. But in America, people weren't doing that. It's just salam alaikum and people just, just walk off and you never see anybody doing dua. So then you start realizing that, look, you know, we, we have to avoid the extreme. So that's intellectual ex- extreme academic extreme where you want to be different in terms of your research or your but then there's just the general practice which is then that you become radical that you just want to be you know uh, you want to do too much and the thing is that um, we had one kid in Stamford Hill and I saw that before he was he had hardly in the masjid then mashallah he became bet uh, to one, one of the, uh, the ulama that used to come he was started doing dhikr. His dad was complaining to us that he is doing like, you know, spends this many hours sitting down doing dhikr and everything like that. Because he just totally gone from one end to the other. And um, so I used to just talk to him nicely about it. But then, that's it. I, I remember once it was the, the Olympics and he used to, he was a young kid, but he used to pray first in the, in the first line. Right? He used to even give adhan. 
And then suddenly one day he wasn't in Tarabi and I missed him. Where is he gone? Then I later found out he'd gone to the Olympic opening. That was one fitna that he couldn't resist. And then, then he did come back. But then after that, he started drifting away. Now he's, I don't know where he is right now. Inshallah, Allah look after him. I don't know where he is right now. So you don't want this to be just like your, your uh, um, engagement with worship needs to be one built on istiqama. So it needs to be built slowly with istiqama. While you give the right to your mind and your body to enjoy itself outside. Until the sharia becomes your enjoyment. That's what it is. Don't look at the people who are in the advanced stages who find enjoyment in their dhikr. That's why they, they say that dhikr in the beginning is like uh, medicine. Because we hate to, not we hate to do it, we find it difficult to do it, but we know we have to do it because it's, there's a problem we have. That's why we do dhikr. But eventually dhikr becomes food for the advanced. So it's not, you'll enjoy it then. But there's a level, these are levels of worship. Unfortunately, because we can't experience those advanced levels, it would help a lot if we could, but that's not the way of the world. That's not the way Sunnatullah is different. So, give yourself time. Give yourself time to do some enjoyable, halal enjoyable things. Right? It's only the advanced that don't need those kind of like, you know, they don't need to go to and have a good meal outside somewhere or, in, uh, or order something or go and just, you know, chill out sometimes with their halal friends and things like that. Do you understand? There needs to be that balance. And the, the deen is, the, the Prophet ﷺ said this himself. He says that anybody who tries to overcome the deen that I can do everything, then the deen will overcome it. So it has to be built up slowly, slowly within ourselves. Because what happens is, if you push yourself too much, and you don't allow, because that's the way Allah has made us, you don't allow your 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 uh, your nafs to get a bit of pleasure, and you've just totally restricted it. It will actually eventually, eventually, when you get tired, because we do get mentally tired. So it's our mental status that is uh, keeping our nafs at bay. But eventually, we will get fatigued. Because we don't have the enough years of build-up of our worship that it's become second nature. Then that nafs will one day just bolt. Or could, could well, not will, but it could bolt. And we won't have the capacity to bring it back under control. The nafs is always bolting. Even of the awliya, the nafs could bolt once in a while. Because the example Mawlatan we gives is of a wild stallion that you have, domest uh, you have trained... Uh, to to uh, to um, be able to uh, control it, but because by nature the horse is a wild animal, by nature though it's become kind of domesticated and trained, once in a while it will go back to that nature. But if it's trained by doing certain things, you will be able to bring it back on track. And the nafs is just like that. But when you don't have that background, then it doesn't work. So I get calls or emails from some of the murids, etc. That uh, you know, uh, I need to do more. Can I can I do the reading of these khatme khajgan? You know, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do something extra? So um, it's good. You should, but give yourself some time for other things, halal things that we're used to doing, and do them. Um, because otherwise, you don't want to lose yourself. Right? There's no point. The point is istiqama. 
istiqama. But then don't let. Sh- it's, it's a, it, this is where shaitan attacks us in these different levels. Now that I'm saying this, don't think, oh, it's licensed to go and enjoy myself and err on that side and not on the side of caution. Keep asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for istiqama. Just make sure that the amount you're doing is enough that you can sustain it forever and then do more after it. Don't make it that it's difficult for you to sustain. Okay, some of us may be free right now. So we may be able to sustain it. But then we know that we may start work or start studies or start a business or something and this is going to become difficult. Then what? So do things that we have regularly that we're definitely going to do and then try to increase on that slowly, slowly because then that will form our basis. We'll never leave that basis. But it's very important to understand that. A lot of people get burnt this way. And it's just really sad. Coming in and out. We don't want that to happen. So while in Atikaf, there was this one individual who actually received Khilafat this year. Since, I think, I can't remember which year, but several years he's been a murid of the Shaykh. He's been fasting every second day. The fast of Dawood I'd, I'd never think I'd come across somebody, you know, for so long. But that, because that's a very instable way, unstable way of fasting. When did you fast every day, your timetable becomes different. Although in this country it'd still be difficult because of the time that you have to, the time fluctuation of Maghrib. But he's from South Africa, which doesn't have as much fluctuation. But mashallah, so without, and actually the Shaykh did dua that, oh Allah, we have people among us who've done that, so at least by their virtue give us, accept our dua. So, you know, it's, it's an achievement, no doubt. Uh, but he's an alim, you know, that this person is an alim, etc. You have to have the control over yourself to be able to do something like that. Uh, so th- these, are, these are one of the subtleties of the deen. So we misunderstand the fact that you should just worship, worship, worship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَكُعُودًا وَعَلَىٰ جُنُوبِهِمْ those who remember Allah standing, sitting and on their sides. What kind of dhikr is lying on your side? But that just goes to, uh, to, to prove that worship is not just formal. Worship is our life, the way we lead our life. Our eating is worship if we have the right intention and our sleeping is worship if we have the right intention. So it doesn't mean that you have to spend the whole night in tahajjud. Not even the Prophet used to do that. Except maybe sometimes. He used to sleep and then wake up. He used to be with his wives, then wake up. So the Prophet is the perfect example. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. So what he says here is, مَا قَلَّ عَمَلٌ بَرَزَ مِنْ قَلْبٍ زَاهِدٍ وَلَا كَثُرَ عَمَلٌ بَرَزَ مِنْ قَلْبٍ رَاغِبٍ This one of course is more of a, a subtlety, an aphorism. He says, no deed arousing, arising from a renouncing heart is going to be small. No deed arising from a renouncing heart, a heart that has renounced the world. Any deed that comes from such a person is never going to be small. Right? I'll explain that. And no deed arising from an avaricious heart is going to be fruitful. No deed arising from a greedy heart is going to be fruitful. Again, that's talking about a subtlety. It's telling us what to focus on. What he's saying in simple words is any heart that has denounced the world and taken the love of the world out of it, 
then any deed it does is going to have great value, reward, becoming a means to closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because it's the state of the heart by which, because worship is not about the content of the worship of what we do, but it's about the state of the heart when we do it, because the worship is actually submission to Allah. So submission is the worship, not the actual physical movement. That's just a method to make us submit, that we fall on the ground and such that, etc. It's to help us to get that level of submission. So subhanAllah, this just tells us that many of our worships are literally without spirit. Because our intention is not there. Our state of heart is not there. Um, that's why now the Sahaba, the, the Prophet ﷺ said that uh, when, when a Sahabi uh, spends even a small measure in the path of Allah, that's superior to us spending a mountain. Because what level of ikhlas did they have? What level of pursuit of the hereafter did they have in their mind? When we spend, we, we could be adulterated and corrupted with some inten wrong intentions, showing off, you know, different reasons. But they had their iman so, so clear cut that when they spent, they knew exactly why they were spending. So that proves it's a state of the heart rather than the act itself. But the act is obviously needed to express your submission. And then he says, any heart that is, has raghbat in the world, which is opposed to renouncing, which is a desire for the dunya, then any deed rising from that is not going to be fruitful. You may get some reward, you may get some, but it's not going to have enough fruit. So this is the commentator of uh, the, the Sheikh Abdullah Gangohi's commentary. He says, as long as love for the world and love for fame dominates, sincerity in action will not develop. Worldly motives and lustful desires will appear in every place and in every deed of such a person. That's shaitan's job to do that. In everything that we do. Even in things that seem to be purely, purely uh, religious. So I can say that, you know, all my studies, my work, every work that I've done, anytime I've been employed to do any work, has only been religious. It's about, you know, writing books or imamat or teaching or something like that. That doesn't mean that I'm going to necessarily be rewarded for all of that. My hope is that yes, because my intention could be that hey, I want to make some money out of this or I want to get fame or I could want this. These are the uh, things that shaitan will bring in your mind all the time. So outwardly, it's a, it's a religious act. But is it religious inside? And that's what we're here for. That's what the tasawwuf is all about. You feel empty. You can have all the accomplishments of the world, both worldly and religious, but if you don't have that inside, you're going to feel empty. And if you don't feel empty, then it's even worse. So if you feel empty and you feel like you want to do something about it, then you should also thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Acceptance of deeds in the divine court occurs only when those deeds are devoid of such calamities. On the contrary, the servant upon whom Allah's grace settles and whose egos are purified from love of the world all their actions, whether pertaining to the religion or the world. So even their worldly acts, purely worldly acts, they may, they may be working in the government, as long as they're not in the wrong position, but they may be working in a civil service, they may be working in, uh, you know, in, a, in a car factory, whatever it may be, or in a restaurant for that matter. Because their mindset is something else, their motive is different, their ambitions and goals are different. 
So whether pertaining to the religion of the world are based on sincerity, the aim of such a person is solely Allah because the world has been expelled from his heart. Hence a deed rendered by an abstinent one is not insignificant, even if, it, even if in quantity it appears slight. Although his deed may be quantitatively little, little in number or in amount, it is imbued with a true spirit and is accepted by Allah Most High. Consequently, it becomes very significant. On the other hand, the actions of a man whose heart is greedily set on the world and who is forgetful of Allah Most High are insignificant. Even if in appearance they are considerable and great. I've seen people who've come into the masjid, in America especially. There's a fundraiser going on. And he's not a very religious guy and I hope that his intentions are correct. But for them, anything that they'll say, anything that is uh, collected today, I'll double it. So if the community as a whole puts together 100,000, I'll double that. So you can imagine what kind of money he has. Of course, there's a heart that's needed to get that. But how much sincerity does the person have? Because sometimes desire for the dunya and fame can easily make you spend 100,000. No problem. Fame is such a thing. It is an intoxicant. There are people, uh, the stars, and they will spend huge amounts of money to make themselves famous. So don't think it's, if it's a greater amount, it can only be from the deen. We hope it is. You know, we don't want to second judge these people. But I'm just mentioning that these are possibilities. This is because the aim of these deeds is not proper. Such a heart is contaminated with falsehood. Therefore, his deeds are not free of the calamities of show and the base motives of the ego and the devil, even if he considers himself to be free of such ailments. It is of utmost importance to cleanse the heart of all things besides Allah Most High. The heart should be purified and adorned with lofty attributes so that the righteous deeds rendered are full of life and soul. Then even if the deed is ostensibly small, in reality it will be great. It is essential to understand that righteous deeds should not be abandoned. Now the last final point is that shaitan will say now, because you don't think you have ikhlas, forget the deed then. Don't do it until you learn ikhlas. Where are you going to learn ikhlas from? If you don't have practice, where are you going to learn ikhlas from? You can't learn ikhlas just sitting at home. You have to learn ikhlas by doing the deed. The first time you might get 90% uh, non-ikhlas and 10% of ikhlas. But slowly, slowly, these other things will start wearing out. Right? And you just have to exercise that mind, that sincerity over uh, the, the, the other motives and eventually you will get that so that's what he says here it is essential to understand that righteous deeds should not be abandoned on account of the existence of these spiritual calamities in one after all rendering the deed in itself even without good intention is better than abandoning them because there is at least the external aspect will eventually help you uh, moreover righteous deeds if practiced constantly will ultimately produce sincerity that's your practice ground for it. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Alhamdulillahil aliyyil a'la al-wahhab. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasanah wa fi al-akhirati hasanah wa qina athab al-nar. Allahumma ahdina wa ahdi bina wa ja'alna hudatan liman ihtada. Oh Allah, we are your feeble and needy servants. Oh Allah, we have spent a life long of sin. Oh Allah, we've spent a life long, though you've given 
all of us iman from the from our very births oh allah we have taken that for granted oh allah we haven't fulfilled the rights of the iman that you have given us oh allah we haven't focused on it as much as we should have oh allah we haven't valued it as much as you have as much as we should have oh allah we ask that all the evil influence of our negligence be removed from us the years and years of sin and negligence the years and years of negligence be removed from our hearts its rust be removed from our hearts oh allah we ask that you grant us forgiveness you grant us forgiveness for all the sins that we've committed all the wrong things we've done all the wrong ideas we may have amassed in our minds all the wrong motivations we may have all the corrupt intentions oh allah all the wrong goals we may have in our mind oh allah there may be sometimes we may do things thinking good about it but sometimes it's a deception of our soul oh allah this path is complex but it's facilitated for those who you make it easy for oh allah we ask that you make us of those that you facilitate this path for oh allah you make us of those who are worthy of gaining this kind of acceptance and tawfiq from you oh allah we ask for your mercy we ask for your mercy and your rahmah and your compassion oh allah we ask that you look after us because if there's if you turn away from us oh allah if you turn away from us then there's no one else that will be able to support and help us oh allah we ask that you help us in this life that we live in our pursuits that we have oh allah you make everything a form of worship for us oh allah you grant us that level of piety and understanding and intention and sincerity that everything that we do we adjust it to be for your sake and that we gain worship throughout oh allah how long are we going to live in this live in this heedlessness how long are we going to live in heedlessness and be f- following all of these phantoms that are around us and these mirages that will come to nothing oh allah don't allow our acts to come to nothing oh allah don't allow our acts to come to nothing oh allah you've condemned such people in the quran we don't want to be of those people oh allah make us of those who your love showers upon who you love to see on the day of judgment and who will love to see you who you are pleased with in this world and they are pleased with you oh allah those who are happy to be with you and to be associated with you and not to anyone else oh allah sometimes shaitan makes us think that to be associated with you will bring us burdens but it's only because of our inexperience it's it's like the non-mature who doesn't understand the pleasure of being mature oh allah remove this deception from our communities remove this deception from our own selves oh allah remove this deception from us oh allah grant us your ma'rifah and your gnosis oh allah grant us your love and the love of those who love you oh allah grant us pious company oh allah grant us pious companions Oh Allah, grant us pious companions in our spouses and in our families. Oh Allah, oh Allah, if we have any obstacles, whether that be in our families or in our surroundings or in our friend circle or in our community, oh Allah, remove those obstacles and make it conducive to all of us, all of us turning to you in worship. Oh Allah, fulfill our permissible needs. Allow us to be given the best of this world and the hereafter. Oh Allah, make all of our actions conducive for your pleasure and your satisfaction oh allah oh allah we ask that you bless our messenger muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and you look after his ummah oh allah you make us worthy of being his ummati 
and you grant respite to all of those who are suffering around the world. Oh Allah, at the end of the day, they are your, they are the ummah of your messenger Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Oh Allah, we may have done much wrong, we may not be worthy of your rahmah, but at the end of the day, this ummah is. The Muslims are looked on as the followers of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Oh Allah, we ask that you prevent an impression being created that those who follow Muhammad are downtrodden and are humiliated and have no privileges in this world. Oh Allah, we ask that you make us true Muhammadis and thus entitled to your true favor and your rahmah and your mercy. Oh Allah, remove our problems from our brothers in Palestine and from other parts of the world. And oh Allah, you allow us, you, are, you have given us a, a semblance of of security at this point in time we ask that you continue to give us afiyah but you make us worthy of this afiyah of this afiyah and well-being oh allah accept all of our deeds that we do give us the tawfiq to remember you and to fulfill our regimen of dhikr and to be dhakaran laka shakaran lak to be constantly in your remembrance in whatever state we're in oh allah grant us the wuquf qalbi that we so desire to be always associated with you subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب